We are going to be in Jude and 2 Peter two weeks in a row. So if this sounds like last week, it's because I'm going to be reading a lot of the same thing to start off, but it is something new. It's not a rerun from last week. So I'm going to read, I'm going to read out of Jude, and then we're going to go to 2 Peter just like we did last week. So you can turn to the book of Jude. And that is right before Revelation. Very small book, but a very powerful book. This is about apostasy that will wreck a church, a denomination. It It can wreck what we learn in schools in colleges, it can mess up our governments, and we have a warning here. The Bible, the whole Word of God, is very critical, and we need to know it, so we read it often, we listen to it be preached, and the Holy Spirit makes it do what it is supposed to do. The Word of God is sent out to do what it's supposed to do, and it's going to do what it's supposed to do. We need to be people who will receive it. So I'm going to reread some of what I read last week, so I'm going to start with verse 3. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, remember, he wanted to write about the common salvation. That's what was on his heart. But... It was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God, and our Lord Jesus Christ. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though ye once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believe not. Now we're going to talk a little bit about that here in in, in just a a little bit. Uh, I I talked about that a little bit last week, about the children of Israel being freed from the bondage of Egypt. Uh, but how few made it to the promised land. Uh, Six, and the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Now, these angels in verse 6, they did something that was really bad. They left their first estate, their, their own habitation, and they did something that was like what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah later, much later, in Sodom and Gomorrah, what was the 
what was the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah? It was fornication and going after strange flesh. So these angels that have been... Remember, Satan and many of the fallen angels are able to move freely. This, this, is, this world is uh, being ruled by the prince of darkness. He's in charge for a period of time, even though God puts a whole lot of restrictions on what He's able to do. But there's a reason that the devil and his fallen angels are out doing what they're doing. It's all for a good purpose, but we don't see it yet. We'll see it in the future. But certain ones of those did something that was really bad, and they have been locked up in chains. They're, they're waiting for the day of judgment, not able to roam like, the, like a lot of the other fallen angels are still able to do. And it has to do with going after strange flesh. And set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Notice that Sodom and Gomorrah, you can go over there today, and it's covered in water. The Dead Sea ended up covering the place where Sodom and Gomorrah is at. But it was found, and sure enough, the rocks over there, under the water there, are scorched. Something scorched that whole area. Now, the proof is there that God did, in fact, rain down fire and brimstone on that place. Eight, likewise, also, these filthy dreamers, talking about these apostate people, these men that have crept in unawares, and they're bringing in these really bad uh, teachings, they are filthy dreamers, they defile the flesh, they despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. So Michael, the archangel, was disputing with the devil over the body of Moses. What did, what did the devil want with the body of Moses? What was he going to do with it? And Michael must have been the minister that did the funeral service for Moses, and it, and it may have just been him in attendance, because nobody knows where Moses was buried. The Bible says that God buried him. And Michael, the archangel, was there contending, and he had every right, the way I see it as a human, to speak bad about the devil. But he wouldn't do it. Only thing he said was, the Lord rebuke thee. But yet these apostates are very easily able to just speak evil things against people they don't even know anything about. And we need to be very careful. We're living in a time where, where uh, we can speak evil of dignities. And most people would say, yeah, that's right, you say it, go ahead. But we need to be careful. We need to be very careful about what we say. We're supposed to be different. Even though we might agree with a lot of things that are being said, we need to be different. But these, uh, verse 10, but these, talking about those people, uh, speak evil of those things which they know not. 
but what they know naturally as they're described as brute beasts. In those things they corrupt themselves. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the error of Balaam and for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Korah. It's spelt differently in the New Testament. If you have a King James Bible, in the New Testament it's spelt uh, C-O-R-E, but it's talking about Korah, which is K-O-R-A-H in Numbers. And that story is in number 16. And we will talk about that here in just a minute. Now, what is the way of Cain? And what is the uh, error of Balaam? And what is the gainsaying of Korah? We need to know these things. And all of, this, all of these things are talked about in, in, in the Word. So, the way of Cain. I, it hasn't been that long. I, I preached a message on that. Actually, it was, it was uh, one of the fill-in messages that was on the podcast that uh, talked about Cain and Abel. Abel brought a more excellent sacrifice. Why was his good? Why, was, why did God accept Abel's sacrifice? Because blood was shed. Cain's was not acceptable. Why? No blood involved. He brought of the things that he produced... The fruits and the vegetables. He may even had some flowers. And he brought all this and set up on an altar. It was absolutely beautiful. But there was no blood in it. Abel, by faith, knew that a little lamb had to be slaughtered and offered. So these apostate people, they will do the same. They will deny the power of the blood. The perfect special music song today. Perfect. But the way of Cain will diminish the power of the blood. That's the way of Cain. All religions of the world, except Christianity, diminishes the blood. All of them do. The error of Balaam. Now this past Wednesday, I'm so glad Lois is back here today. She was here on Wednesday. I did my best to scare her off, and she came back. I was all over the place, all over the place in the Word. And I thought after I left, I'm like, I really messed that up. But then I listened to it on the podcast, and I was blown away. I was like, whoa, wow. Well, we need to know the Bible so well that we can refer to all these different things that are in the Bible. We need to know it. We need to, when, when somebody says something about the error of Balaam, now, just in Balaam, not only is there an error of Balaam right here in Jude, but there's also the way of Balaam. That's in uh, uh, 2 Peter. Then there is the doctrine of Balaam that's in Revelation. So we got these three things here. We got a way of Cain, we got an error of Balaam, we got gainsaying of Cori or Korah, but then just Balaam himself has got a, an error and a way and a doctrine. And we need to know the differences between the three. So what is the error 
of Balaam. The error, if you go back to the story, this, this is where, uh, you know, we, we went an hour, I think, on Wednesday night. And when it was over, you know, I, 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 I want questions, you know. And so there was a question asked. Unfortunately, it was one of those questions that takes an hour to answer. So I asked everybody that was here, are y'all ready to just let's do another one? Let's do another podcast. Let's do another hour, and we'll answer this question. And, that's, uh, and they were like, oh, no, no, we're good. We're good. So the story of Balaam, it's in Numbers. And Balaam's the one who had the donkey that saved his life. You remember that story? Balaam is... He, he's, he's not looking with spiritual eyes, but the dumb donkey, dumb as in shouldn't be able to speak, could see the angel standing there in the way with a sword drawn. Balaam doesn't even see it. And he's trotting along, and this donkey keeps turning, and, and Balaam is hitting him trying to get him back to go where it's supposed to go, and this donkey keeps turning and finally gets him into that narrow place and presses him up against the wall and collapses, and Balaam gets up and is beating this donkey, and then the angel of the Lord's there, and he's like, whoa. And the angel said, if it wasn't for that donkey and you would have kept going, I would have surely killed you. So what was the error of Balaam? He ended up, see, it says something about for reward. The heir of Balaam, for reward. Balaam was a prophet for hire. It was very well known that he could curse someone and they got cursed. Or he could bless someone and they would be blessed. He was not part of the nation of Israel, but God talked to him. He had a relationship with God Almighty. And he wasn't even part of the nation of Israel. And Balaam knew God. And when he was offered by Balak to put a curse on these people, he was like, wow, I'm going to make some good money off this. But he knew that he had to go talk to God about it. And I don't know if it was negotiation, like he was a really good negotiator, but he told Balak, sorry, I can't do it. God said, I can't. And Balak's like, okay, how much more do we need to offer this guy? And it went back and forth. So Balaam's going, whoa, I can get rich off of this. But as bad as he wanted the money, he knew he couldn't curse the nation of Israel. So how do I get around this? You know, there's a whole lot of people who go to church that claim to be Christians that know the Word, but they they just spend all their time trying to figure out how to get around all these laws of God. How can I get around it and justify doing something bad? So Balaam's thinking. He wants the money. He wants the recognition. So his error is that he saw the nation of Israel. He saw that they were doing some bad things and that if they didn't do right, God would have to curse them. And he's like, I got an idea. Well, what he didn't see was the cross in the future. That's what he didn't see. All he could see was the law of God and the people failing in the law, and God would have to judge them in that. 
Now that's the error of Balaam, not seeing afar off that the, that, that the cross of Christ, he even prophesied about it and didn't even know he was prophesying about it. You get on further on into the story, talking about the star. So Balaam, if you go, if you go to, uh, back over to 2 Peter, that's the way of Balaam, which is making the money. He wanted to make the money. The doctrine of Balaam is in Revelation chapter 2. It's when you get to the, the, the third church. You got Ephesus was the first one. See, chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation is about the seven churches. When you get over to the third one, remember the first church is Ephesus. The second church is Smyrna, and, and that's a, a form of myrrh. And what do you use myrrh for? To anoint a dead body. They were going through severe persecution. People were dying for their faith in Jesus Christ. They were, they were dying, persecuted. The, all the different rulers of Rome, they were trying to squash this Christianity. They, it was persecution age after persecution age. And when you get to Pergamos, as far as what it says in Revelation 2, if you break down Pergamos, it's the worldly things being married to godly things. So what did Balaam actually do? And it says in verse 14 that his doctrine was Balaam, the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. So he couldn't directly curse the nation of Israel. If we had an enemy of this church and they made everybody know and announced that they were against us, then we can, we can uh, uh, try to keep them away. We can try to do things. But the most dangerous enemy is the one who acts like he's the perfect child of God and he walks in here and he's amongst us. And we think that he's one of us but he's really bringing in apostasy. That, that's the dangerous people. The ones, that's why you have to get into the Word. You can't believe me. You've got to be very cautious of things that I preach. You must know the Lord yourself. You must know the Word of God. So Balak, Balaam knew that all he had to do was teach Balak, the king that wanted the nation of Israel cursed, he said, look, I can't curse them, but this is what you do. You've got some very fine women in your nation. All you got to do is introduce your women to the sons of Israel. They will fall in love with them and want to marry them. And then all of your idols will be brought into the nation of Israel through the marriage. And those women can teach them how to eat things offered to idols, sacrifice to idols. And they will commit fornication. And they, God will have to judge them. And it will all happen from within. 
That's the doctrine of Balaam. <clears throat> now, the gainsaying of Korah. Now, that's in number 16. Number 16. We're not going to go there. I'm going to try to remember it the best I can. All right. Korah, along with, I think it was 250 other noble people, they were not just your average person. They were higher-ups in the congregation of Israel. And they all got together, and they went to Moses and said, basically, who are you that put yourself way up here above all of us? And they were told to do certain things that they should have said, no, we're not doing that, but they did it. They burned incense in their uh, censers. They did things that were only for the office of the priest, which was Aaron. <clears throat> they, they were talking against Moses. They were talking against Aaron. So really and truly what they were doing is they were against the Word of God. The Word of God said this, and, and Moses represented what God said. Remember, not too long before Balaam's story, the children of Israel were complaining, and God sent all the fiery serpents in and was biting all the people. And when they realized they had done wrong, they went to Moses and, and told Moses, we've sinned, will you go to God for us? Well, they just did this over and over again. Moses was clearly the person that represented them. But Korah and all those people were against it, and they were given an opportunity to repent of all that and any people that were with them. And Moses told them, if you, if you don't die and you just live your life, then I'm wrong. But if the earth opens up and takes you in, you're wrong. And the earth opened up and swallowed them in. The Bible says they took a really quick trip to hell alive. And down into the earth they went, and then the earth closed back up on them, and they were no more. What is amazing to me is even after that, the people blamed Moses and Aaron for what happened to all the others. And God said, I'm taking them all out. And that's not the first time I said I'm taking them all out. It wasn't the last and only time. And Moses, he said, Aaron, God's sending a plague to all the people. He said, take your censer, uh, burn incense, get in amongst the people as fast as you can and make an atonement for them. And that's what he did. And many of the people were dying of this plague, but then most of them were saved because they stood in the way. They made an atonement. It was a type and picture of what Jesus was going to do for all of us. Now, you know in that story of the uh, fiery serpents, what did Moses do to cure that? You remember what he did? What, anybody else? It was a brazen serpent, a serpent made of brass. They put it on a pole and lifted it up. Now, that happened in 14... 
52 BC. I wrote that down approximately. I, I don't know how accurate that is, but it's somewhere in that neighborhood. The, uh, the brazen serpent was set up in 1452 BC. Have you ever asked yourself, what happened to that brazen serpent? You know what happened to it? Anybody know what eventually happened to it? Anybody know? Can't remember? All right. She, she's got some, uh, some recollection of it. Well, about 700 years later, this is, a, this is 2 Kings, which would have been around 700 B.C., 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 4. Now, this is, this is Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a really good king. Most of all of Israel's kings, you had northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The nation, see, Israel, all the kings of Israel were horrible, every last one of them. But in Judah, there was a handful of good ones. And Hezekiah was one of the good kings. <clears throat> really bad before him, things had gotten into a really bad mess. And Hezekiah, what did he do in uh, 18 verse 4? He removed the high places and break the images and cut down the groves and break in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. For unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it. They had made an idol out of the brazen serpent. 700 years later... They're burning incense to a brazen serpent. They're, they're worshiping a type. You know, if, if we had... It, over in Russia, I think it's Lenin that they've preserved his body, and he's sitting up inside of this big old fancy place, and he's guarded by guards. And you can go over there and you can walk through, and his, his body has been preserved... And people walk through every day, thousands of them walk by and just look at this leader, this, this worldly leader. Was, was Satan wanting to do that with Moses' body, knowing that the people would worship his body? I, I don't know. I mean, it's just, I don't know. But you know what? If we had, I heard somebody arguing over, why couldn't God preserve at least one of his originals? You know, as far as the, the books of the Bible, we, they're all copies gone from year. And, and people want to say the Word of God isn't perfect anymore because it's been copied so many times over and over and over again. There's got to be some human mistakes in it. But yet the people who copied, they counted letters. And, and they would copy and then they would count letters. And if the letters didn't, it wasn't right number, they knew they messed up somewhere. They were so meticulous in the way they did it, there was never any errors. If there was, somebody called it. And they fixed it. God preserved His Word. So, I'm sure the copper scroll that was found at the uh, Dead Sea scroll, all that Dead Sea stuff, I'm sure that somebody has paid a lot of money for it, and they're worshiping that, that uh, copper scroll. They're, they're, it's like an idol to them. Can you imagine if, if God did preserve one of His originals, where would it be? Would people worship that original? You ever wonder why Jesus never baptized anybody? 
because the people who got baptized by him would think they were way better than somebody who didn't get baptized by Jesus? You ever realize that Paul, talking about baptism, said, I'm, I'm just thankful I, haven't, I didn't baptize any of you. Oh, yeah, I did baptize Stephanus and his household. and Oh, yeah, yeah, those two guys. But other than that, I don't know if I baptize any of you. People will put baptism on an equal plane with being washed with the blood of Jesus. Human beings will idolize anything and put things that are not supposed to be in place of Jesus, right there in place of Jesus. The brazen serpent. It was a serpent, which really, there's a lot of people probably died that wouldn't look at it. Moses set it up and said, anybody who would turn, you're bitten, you're dying, that poison that's in your body is killing you, all you have to do is turn and look at it, and you'll live. And there's probably several that said, oh no, it's not my religion to look at serpents, and wouldn't look at it and die. All you got to do is look. We are all bit with the poison of sin. It's in our bodies, and we're dying from it, and we're going to go to hell forever unless we turn and look at Jesus on the cross. Look to him. The brazen serpent won't do it for you anymore. That was just a type. It was a shadow. We're not saved by types. We're not saved by shadows. We're saved by the real thing, which is Jesus. I haven't even got to Second Peter yet. <clears throat> now, Hezekiah broke it up, smashed it, because people were idolizing it, that brazen serpent. I'm going to read a little bit more out of Jude. The, this is verse 12. These are spots in your feast of charity or your feast of love. When they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear, clouds they are without water. <clears throat> now, when it's really hot and dry, and the grass is drying up, and the gardens are just really needing some water, and you see this big black cloud form, and it's coming your way, and you're thinking, yes, and you get absolutely no rain out of it. it isn't, to me, it is very disheartening. When I see the cloud form, and here yesterday was a good example. Those clouds formed, and at the end of our road was wet as it could be, but at my house dry as it could be. I wanted rain on my field. That's the way these apostates are. They look like something, but have absolutely nothing to deliver. Clouds they are without water, carried about of winds, trees whose fruit withereth, without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. So it could be a beautiful-looking tree, but you'll never get any fruit from it. You will know them by their fruit. Ra apostates are raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame. Wandering stars, to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. And Enoch, also, the seventh from Adam. Notice that he's the seventh from Adam. The Bible has to tell you that he's the seventh. <clears throat> Prophet.
prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. So he's prophesying something. You know, we were talking in Sunday school about Enoch, and where is that said in the Bible? I don't know if you can find it. If you can find it, let me know. But I'm pretty sure this is just what Peter said about Enoch. Now, I mentioned those Dead Sea Scrolls. I'm pretty sure there was a book of Enoch that was found. And I bet you anything, if you read the book of Enoch, which I know people who have, that is the prophecies in it. Does that mean that we need to get a hold of that book and put it in our Bibles? Absolutely not. It's not inspired word of God. Doesn't mean it's not true. We also mentioned that there's a place where Paul said, uh, this letter needs to, be it needs to be read to this church and make sure you get the letter of Laodicea and make sure y'all read that. Paul said that. And, and we see it in the Word of God. Do we have a book of Laodicea? Nope. He told them they needed to read it. If you, we could find it, it'd probably be good reading. But it's not supposed to be in our Bibles. I was, in Sunday school, I said... Uh, God's not up there going, oh, man, I forgot to put Laodicea in there. He's not doing that. What he wanted in our Bibles is in our Bibles, and we need to have faith in that. <clears throat> to ex execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lust, and their mouth speaketh telling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. But, beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles, of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you that there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lust. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And of some have compassion, making a difference. See, there are certain people, you, all you need to do is show compass, compassion to. But then there's others. Save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory, with exceeding joy to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. Now, in pulling them out of the fire, Adrian Rogers uh, shared a story about 80 men. I think it was Fort Dix. I don't know what year it was, but it was a big forest fire that had happened in these I guess they were uh, military men that were, it was 80 of them that were taken in to fight this wildfire. While they were fighting the wildfire, the flames jumped 
and the flames ended up going all around them, and they were trapped. And they knew that they were going to be consumed by the fire. It was every direction. They were trapped. They were stuck in the middle, didn't know what to do. Well, there was a little plane that was flying over, and the plane would fly right over top of where they were, and something fell out of the plane. And they saw it, and they ran over, and it was a piece of paper tied to something that had some weight to it, just some, some object. And they opened it up, and it, and it had a, a message on there from the pilot, and it said, uh, one way out. And then another, uh, he would drop something else, and he said, go down to the big rock. And he, he just kept dropping messages. He would fly over it, and they, what he was doing, he was telling them, which way to go because from up in the sky he could see that if you went down and turn right and go across this ledge there was one way where you could get through the flames and get out of there so what do all those 80 men do do they just go we're trapped we're surrounded there's no way out we're going to die and just sit there or do they take a message that is dropped down from the heavens who has a much better picture of what's going on and follow the word and get that one way out of fire. There's just one small pass to get out from burning in hell, and his name is Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for your word. Father, for your saving word. And Father, we are Christians. We believe that Jesus was very true and very faithful in the saying that no one gets to you, Father, except through Him. That He is the way, the truth, and the life. And Father, I pray that each and every one of us will believe it and have boldness to look to you to know that even though things may look very dark, things may look like there's just no hope here on this earth, Father, that we are totally surrounded by the flames, but Father, Your Word, if we will trust that You know what's best for us and that You have given us a message, and Father, that if we follow Your message, You will deliver us from the fires of hell into your glorious kingdom in heaven. Thank you, Father. Thank you for making a way. Father, I pray we will be people who will follow it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.